0: So um, we just sang so i 'll stand with with arms high and hearts abandoned. Did you stand with arms high and hearts abandoned? Some of you uh, I like to talk about worship this morning are we are we a hand uh, up kind of church or what are we what are we exactly well, to start out that kind of conversation, I thought we needed to have a good uh laugh together, so can we, can we get the little uh, cartoon, there we go, so, we don't do that in this church, someone will think you're being robbed, okay, um, now all that to say, uh, you are free to do that, you are completely free to respond to the song that we're singing and say, yeah, I, I love God, and whether we're that kind of church or not, I hope that you feel the freedom to do that and not feel like you're, you know, someone's going to look at you going, stop, you know, that's not, you're getting robbed. Um, I want to talk this morning about gospel-centered worship. You know, wh- what is worship? What, what is a New Testament conception of what worship really is? There, there's, of course, congregational worship like what we just did, and then there's lifestyle of worship, which is like all the time. How is that defined in Scripture? I don't know that I can point to a verse and say, here's the definition of worship that you see in the Bible. Like, worship is and then there it is. I mean, you have like, God is, God is love, God is holy. We have lots of, of words to describe who he is, but maybe not like the worship is. So, but I want to get at that question a little bit. What is worship? And I want to start with a couple uh, words in the New Testament for worship. Now, you have these in your notes, so you can look at that. Um, I, I'm sorry, I, I actually sent my rough draft copy of my notes to get printed on accident. So you don't have any blanks to fill in. If that's distracting to you to see like everything I'm going to say like, right in front of you, well, then don't look at it, okay? Just just put it away. Put it away. I had way too many classes in college where I, I, I could see all the notes right in front of me. I'm just like, I know what he's going to say. It's coming up right here. And I just kind of tuned out. Don't do not do that, okay? Uh, just put it away if, you, if that distracts you. But if, if it helps you to see where I'm going without blanks, uh, then check it out, and it, it'll all be good, okay? But that was my rough draft. My, my fault. Um, First of all, let's talk about a couple New Testament words for worship, okay? The first word is proskineo. proskoneo. Now, proskeneo means to do reverence to, and in particular, to do reverence to by falling on the knees, by falling on the knees. Now, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but, but there's a Greek version of the Old Testament, and this word is all over the place in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Um, Proskyneto, because you had people responding to, to God's presence, and, and they would actually literally fall down. And, and in the New Testament, this word, you'll see about 26 uses of this word in the Gospels. About 26 times this word happens, and it's people encountering Jesus, and, and they're falling down in front of him. They're worshiping him. So the, ver- the example I gave you is Matthew two two. It's the wise men who say, we, we've traveled from afar, and we've come here to worship the king. We've come here to worship him. okay? And what they mean is, we literally want to fall down and, and show him reverence. And that's exactly what the scripture says that they did. They actually literally worshipped him by bowing down. As a little kid, they bowed down in front of Jesus. So, this word is all over in the Gospels. It's all over in Revelation also, 21 times This word is used in the book of Revelation. You know, people are encountering God in Revelation. You know, you see that. You've got the throne room of heaven. And so you've got people falling down to worship in front of God. Now, it's not used so much in the letters of Paul. And I want to get to that in a second, like why that might be. It's used only one time in in, in 1 Corinthians by Paul. Only one time Paul uses that word for worship. Interesting. But all that to say that proskuneo kind of signifies a, a physical response of our bodies to who God is. So, you know what? If that's raising your hands good, you have the freedom to do that. If it's bowing down to the knees, it might be a little bit hard in the pews, but you can do that. It's okay. We want you to respond. If the Lord has limited your body to what it can do and and you can't stand as long as the rest of us, you should feel free to sit. It's totally okay. Because worship's not about making you rise and sit and and hands up or hands down. It's not about that, but it includes that. We'll get to what it's really about. But it certainly includes bodily motions to signify what's going on in our hearts. You should feel freedom there. I want to tell you, you should feel freedom there. And nobody should act like you're getting robbed. Um, now, proskuneo, again, in the Gospels, in Revelation, Paul uses it one time. And, and then, uh, then you've got this other word for worship. Letruo. Letruo literally means to serve. It means to serve. Now, it has a kind of a cousin word, latreia, latreia also means to serve, like you see in Romans 12, verse 1, where, where Paul says, um, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your, an accept, your acceptable form of worship. Or some translations say, this is your acceptable form of, of service. It's your form of service. Now, that word is used by Paul all over the place in his letters to the churches. Often he will say, I'm serving God wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm the true, I'm serving God. Sometimes it's translated as serving. And it's what we think of when we say, I'm serving. Sometimes, like Philippians three, 3 it's translated worship. We, we worship God. Why is it that proskoneo didn't get used as much in Paul's epistles, but latruo gets used all the time? Like, wh- wh- why is that? And it seems like the difference being in Gospels, you have people responding to Jesus who's right in front of them. You know, there's Jesus. i got to respond. I'm bowing down. But in Paul's letters, you don't have a physical Jesus standing up in the churches that you can bow down to. And since there's no physical Jesus to bow down to, maybe it makes sense to call it LaTruo because we're, we're, we're serving God. And it's not just when we gather together. It's all the time. It's a 24 7 kind of thing. So I serve him by what I do while I'm with the church as we're gathered here this morning. But I also serve him on Monday when I get up and I spend time in the Word and I pray. And then I go to work and I, I live for him in front of people. I, I, I share the light of the gospel with people around me. La Truo. I'm, I'm serving God every day by what I'm doing. And I think that makes a lot of sense maybe i should even open my notes that would be good here we go so um LeTruo, every day i'm serving and, and that can be singing that can be doing that can be loving th- th- that's the everyday kind of thing i'll pick up my wife for a second here um good good example she she her eyes are big now cuz i didn't i didn't clear this with her so yikes but she's always singing. I mean, I just, I just want you to know that. I mean, worship's not just something that happens on Sunday. You know, when you're just up here leading, she's, she's always got a song. And sometimes I got to interrupt the song so I can have a conversation. You know, like I want to talk. But she's always got songs coming out of her all the time. I just, I just think that it'd only be fair that you know, I have a gift too that I like to share. It's called preaching, and I wish I could do that at home too. You know, I mean, get to thy rooms. It's time for bed. You know, kids, listen. Cook me my steak. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I, I could preach it, though. I could preach it, but I'm not. Um, I'm just telling you, she uses her gift, like, all the time. It's just, it's just always, always on. She's always on. And, and I think that's wonderful. And whether or not you should be singing all the time while you're at work, that might be a different story, you know. But, but you should be always worshiping every single day whether by song or word or action or love or whatever, whatever. Okay. Okay. o. Now I want to talk a little bit about, uh, the location of worship. Let's, let's talk about, so that those are coming. So those are, that's not all the new Testament words for worship There's a few more, but, but, uh, they're, they're similar to what we've talked about here and they're not used as much. So I'm not including them this morning. Uh, where do we worship? I think that in most, most unchurched people would say, where do you worship? Well, you worship at church. And when we talk, the way we talk is, I worship at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. You know, that's 1614 Highway 32, Three Lakes, Wisconsin. That's where you worship. And the really snobby people feel like worship really happens here, but it doesn't happen down the road. We really got it right. I hope we don't do that, though. But worship, biblically speaking, is not about the place. I want to show you where we see that. Uh, Would you turn uh, to John 4? John chapter 4, verse 19. This is the woman at the well. If you've been in the church for a while, chances are you've heard this preached and taught. You, You know this. You've read it in your devotions. Woman at the well and, and also, uh, the Samaritans always get the whole uh, explanation of who they are. You know, this is a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were like half-breed Jews. And so, so the Jewish people looked down on them, and they would avoid walking through their land. They would avoid talking to them. And Jesus just breaks all those rules and talks to a woman, no less. And that was also not to be done. And this is the conversation that they're having. He's talking about living water. He's talking about water that will help you to never thirst again. And so this woman is, is picking up on this. Jesus is not just this, this normal guy that's breaking social customs. There's something else going on here. That This guy is a prophet. He's got to be. He's talking to me about my marriage and the fact that the guy I'm with now is not my husband. And I've had these husbands before. And she, she, she's putting all the pieces together. And so she seizes on the moment and is like, now I'm going to ask him a hard question. Because that's what we all want to do, right? You know, you got someone that's like really smart. And and, and they know God, so let's give them a good question. Let's stump them. And so uh, here's where we're going to pick up. Verse 19. Chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Controversy. You know, isn't that where our hearts go sometimes? Just controversy. Settle it. We want to be right. You know, what do you say? And Jesus, instead of saying, "Well, obviously the right place to worship is Jerusalem. You know, it's the temple. That's that's where that's where God's at. That's why we have all these festivals as a Jewish nation. And and during Passover, people flock into Jerusalem. During the Feast of Booths, people camp out, and you know they're just they're just always pouring into Jerusalem to worship God. But of course, He doesn't go there, even though that's what the Jewish people did. And instead, He says, verse 21. Believe me, woman." A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvations from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, am he. Do we worship at Mount Gerizim? Do we worship in Jerusalem? Where do we worship? The Old Testament's full of verses that tell you, you worship at the tabernacle. You worship at the temple. There's the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, and God is there, like he's there and you can't just walk into the holy of holies cuz he's there and and now you get to this place where Jesus says no it's not location it's not going to the temple worship is becoming delocalized it's becoming internalized he's like now we worship in spirit and truth god is spirit our spirit worships his spirit And we worship truthfully. We worship what we know. We don't worship what we don't know. God has revealed himself. And so if there's more to know about God than what we're told, we don't don't worship him for those things. We worship what's been revealed about God in Scripture. We worship him for who he is, his holiness, his love, his justice and mercy. We worship in truth. We worship in spirit. So, you can't talk about worship biblically as a location location. Worship happens here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. I mean, I know that for practical purposes, we call singing and this stuff worship. And so we, we have to kind of use words that kind of communicate that. But we want to be careful. Because worship is becoming about the heart. And not about the building. Not about the building. In fact, of course, you know, the temple is our body. The temple of the Holy Spirit. So, biblically speaking, worship's moved from from temple to heart. Now, um, what is worship then? Like, like, what is the essence of worship? To answer that question, I want you to go to um, Philippians 1.20. Would you go there? A little bit over from John. Acts, Romans, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 20. Apostle Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, and I will have sufficient, sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live in is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, where this means fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn. Between two, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this I know I will remain, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul says I have this struggle. Because I know how amazing Jesus is. And if I could just be with him, I know I have to die to get there. But if I die, I get to see him. I get to be with him. I get to hug him. I get to to be with Jesus. And so he says, I have a hard time. If I remain here, I get to serve the church, which is really good for the church. What shall I choose? I don't know. And then he has the, the famous words, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, and I believe that is the essence of worship. When you talk about what is worship it 's that statement to live as Christ to die is gain. I want to exalt Jesus by not fearing death, in fact, being okay and even full of joy about my own death, because I know I get to see Jesus on the other side, and what 's better than that and if i if I keep living though. Then, for me to live is Christ. Now, what does that mean to live as Christ? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, I get the gain part. If you die, you gain the actual being in the presence of Jesus. That's pretty amazing. That's the gain. What does it mean to live as Christ? I think he talks about that in chapter 3. You want to look at that real quick? Like, chapter 3. Verse 7, to live is Christ. Chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Okay, he's saying, everything is about Christ, Every, oh, the only good thing in my life that, that's truly amazing is Christ. It all comes from Jesus. Everything that I enjoy comes from Jesus. And compared to Jesus, nothing compares. It's rubbish. It's rubbish, he says. So, do we have a heart that is so... I hesitate the words in love, because in love sounds romantic, but, but loves Jesus so deeply... That everything else in this life pales in comparison. That is worship when nothing else can compare to Jesus Christ. So when he says, for me to live is Christ, he is like, even in this life, I get to enjoy Jesus. Everything he is to me, everything that he's doing in me, everything that I'm learning about him, everything that he's using me to do, it's all from him. And nothing is as good as that. So, when your heart exalts Jesus above all things, whether in life or in death, you have expressed worship. A simple definition might be you're magnifying God. Now, magnify doesn't mean like the magnifying glass thing where you're trying to make something bigger than what it really is. It's actually the opposite. It's, it's trying to show how magnificent something is. How magnificent is God? How great is he? And can you show that with your life? That is worship. You could use the word exalt, like Paul does here. I want to exalt him with my body, whether in life or death. You can use the word magnify. But it's, it's reflecting how great he is. That's worship. That's the essence of worship. Now, let's get to the trickier part of this. Because I think we'd all agree on this. This is is the easy stuff, I think. What about the forms of worship? This is what some churches battle over. How are we going to carry that out? Are we going to be contemporary? Are we going to be traditional? Are we going to be a mix? How are we getting that worked out? I like hymns. I like worship courses. I like stuff written in the last two years. What do we do? Because we're all different. Okay. First of all, you've got to understand, on forms of worship, we're on number four, that the New Testament is largely silent on the forms of worship. Have you ever thought about that? You don't have verses that say, this is how you do it. And this is the, this is the instruments that you can't use. Oh, man, I go back to my uh, Baptist school days, and as good as they were, I mean, that that school taught me the word of God, taught me to respect authority. I mean, I had an, an amazing school experience. But I was also told that drums were of the devil, you know? And I was told that if I listened to DC Talk, I was listening to something that actually stood for the band ACDC which actually if you listen to uh, their their albums like I did, the the rebellious kid that I was, um, they actually say D.C.'s decent Christian, decent Christian, D.C. Um, And and I'll never forget, I'll never forget, the principal of my school finding someone's Petra tape, cassette tape. You kids do know what those are, right? That's not that old, really. You know, eight tracks and before records, you don't know. right? Cassette tape. And I remember him holding it. Petra, you know, for those that don't know either, Christian rock band, okay, guitars blazing, you know, it's, it's beautiful. And um, <laughs> and I didn't even know who they were at the time. I'm just like sitting in class, right? I'm just sitting in class. And my principal comes into the class. We found this Petra tape. We don't listen to rock music. That's the devil's music. Snap, you know. And I thought, well, and my, my little kid heart was like, I must have been in seventh grade, sixth grade. I was like, at least he could have done was like give it back and say, you know, it's yours. Get rid of I don't know. I don't know. He broke it, though. I mean, he was convicted. This is of oh, the devil. Break. You know. Um, and I thought, i got to listen to that band. You know? It's, I know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what, what do you do? And, and my parents kind of grew up in that atmosphere. And they kind of broke away from it. And they kind of came to the conclusion that if our son listens to Christian rock music, that means he's not listening to secular rock music. That's good. We can can encourage that. And even when I did turn the radio up, you know, uh, well, let's not name bands, but I remember turning the radio up, my dad comes up into my room, knocks on the door, comes in, we don't listen to that music. How would you even know who that band was? I don't know. My dad knew. Um, But uh, anyway, all that to say, uh, we, there's forms of worship that cause us trouble, cause the church trouble. People fight. People say, I like that style. That's what I want more of. I'll find a church like that. Um, and, and just so I'm telling you again, my Baptist school upbringing was wonderful for me. It shaped who I am today in a, in a very good way. I just disagree with them on the music thing, Okay. Because the New Testament is silent on the forms of worship. In fact, what you do have, the best verse I can find on it is Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, I want the Spirit to fill me up, control me. If, if alcohol, can, if wine can control you, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, bad things. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you and fill you up. Um... Then he says, speak, which is actually a participle, so it should be translated speaking. Speaking, which means this flows out of what? If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to do this. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So the Bible says, sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's variety in worship. And I don't see one elevated above another. In fact, for those that would argue um, we should only use hymns, I would say, you realize at one point hymns were new and contemporary. Just, just saying, just saying. And for you that argue that new stuff is the way it's always got to be, you realize we have, this is a historical faith. And one day your favorite song won't get sung anymore either. Because the new kids will like new stuff. How do we deal with that reality? Let me just put it out there. Let me just lay my heart bare. I prefer certain songs and styles of worship. There are certain things that grab my heart and certain things that don't. I grew up singing hymns every Sunday. At some point I got used to singing worship, uh, more modern contemporary stuff. Maybe over my time as a youth pastor we did more of that. I have a preferred worship style. And I would like my style to be every Sunday. I'm just telling you that. I would like my style to be every single Sunday. And I would like you to like it too. But that I don't see as biblical. It's because it's not about me and my preference. It's about us as the church. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ. So, okay. I'm getting ahead of myself maybe a little bit. So there's no no form of worship um, that's given in the Bible. So what do we do? What is the answer? I think the answer has to be the gospel dictates how we worship. The gospel dictates how we worship. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Look at verse 14. Ephesians 2.14. Here we go. Um, Yeah. This is not about worship, but I want to draw a principle from it. Okay? So so look at it with me. For he, Jesus, himself is our peace. He's made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jewish people and non-Jewish people. There's them, and then there's us, right? And Jewish people, they've had God forever. You know, it goes back to Abraham, for goodness sake. And Gentiles, they've been worshiping pagan gods. They're just lost. And there was a wall of hostility. The wall of hostility in the first century church was, do Gentiles have to take all the Jewish customs or not? Do the men have to get circumcised like a Jew? Do we have to eat like a Jew and avoid pork and other things? Do we have to act like them? Their answer was, no. Read Galatians, it's all over the place. The answer is no, you don't. The wall has been broken down between Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so by abolishing, we're in verse 14. By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, Thus making peace, and in this body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to you who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I know. Jesus comes, and he's broken down the wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew. This is how we should do the church. Let's have a Jewish church. Let's have a Gentile church. Let's do it that way. But they didn't. They didn't do it that way. And so today we're faced with a similar wall of hostility, I think. It's not that wall of hostility. That's distinct and defined. But our wall of hostility is we've got young people that prefer young stuff and older folks that prefer older stuff. I don't know which category you're in. I'll let you decide that. (laughs) But what do we do? What do we do with that wall? The gospel is the gospel for Jews and Gentiles, slave or free, male or female, and we could include young or old, young or old. Somehow the church has to respond to that faithfully and say, we are a church of both young and old and this is what it looks like. Because the gospel has called us both into fellowship with each other. I don't think it will do to say to, uh, to our church we're going to have a traditional service for older folks and a contemporary service for younger folks. I don't think that works. I think that's more disunifying than anything else. That's my personal conviction. I know churches do it. I'm not trying to condemn them. But it feels like segregation to me. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like the gospel is informing that decision. That's just, that's just my heart. It's just my heart. The gospel says we need each other. And we're all one. So how are we going to do that here? I've been talking about this with, um, with Eric Gustafson. We've had lunches and things where we've talked about how we're going to do different styles of worship. Because Eric sounds different than Christy, that sounds different than Heather, and it, it, it's all different. And we might have other people lead, you know? I mean, we sound different. What do we do with that? Here's what I'm asking you at this church older folks, would you love the younger folks by singing their songs? And, of course, exalting Christ in the process, which is the essence of worship. And younger folks, you that wish we would not do any hymns because they don't grab your heart, you don't feel it, would you love the older folks by singing hymns? And exalting Christ, because, of course, that's what it's really about. I think that's the way to move forward in unity at this church so you know what when when eric does a, a, a modern worship song it's gonna sound in his style when christy or heather when they do a hymn like we did today holy 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 you know that sounded kind of modern to my ears i don't know about you like the words were the same i know those words they take me back but it sounded kind of modern to me and we had drums you know i mean come on I know it's going to sound a certain way, even if you do something that's not your normal thing. Okay, So um, I'm asking for unity in this church on that. I'm asking older folks to love the younger folks by singing in their style. I'm asking younger folks to love the older folks by singing in their preferred style. Let's be one on this thing. Um, So the conclusion is, In your notes, you'll see this. We will focus on the essence of worship and not the forms. We'll focus on the essence. That's what we agree on. We want to exalt Christ. Now, I want to walk through um, our worship vision. And uh, it's on this yellow paper. You should pull this out now if you hadn't pulled it out before. On the back, there's vision for worship at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Uh, I don't want to take a long time. We're going to conclude here in a minute, but um, I asked Eric Gustafson to can you kind of capture this idea that we're talking about this morning? Can you capture it as a statement of vision? Like, here's what we're trying to do at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Why do this? Why can't we just do it and not talk about it? Well, here's why. If we just do stuff just because it's not very intentional. It's not very purposeful. It's like, why do we do what we do? How does the Bible inform what we do as a church? If, we don't, if we're not reflecting on why we do church the way we do it, I, I don't know. That just, that just bothers me. What we do ought to be intentional, grounded in the word of God. This is a statement of intentionality. This is why we do worship the way we do. So if someone comes here and checks out this church and they're like, why is it? That one week you guys are traditional, and another week you guys are contemporary. By the way, church leaders tell me that's not how you're supposed to do it. I'm just telling you about conversations with people, and they say you're not supposed to go back and forth in worship style. That's what we're doing. Okay? Why are we doing it that way? I think it loves older folks, and I think it loves younger folks, and honors them both. And ultimately, honors Christ above all. Okay, um, So our goal is vibrant Sunday morning worship. Uh, We want to deepen your relationship with God and with each other. Here's some core principles for how we want to do that. Number one on our worship guiding principles. Holistic. Holistic means it's engaging the heart, how we feel, the mind, how we think, the soul, our deepest being, the body, our expressiveness, movement, posture, etc. We're moving away from the common evangelical tradition of treating non-singers like second-class citizens. I've met you. I know who some of you are. Some of you don't like singing. And instead of saying shame on you, we have some non-singing elements of our services. We have some readings and responses. It's good. Okay? It's good. Um, and of course, that doesn't let anybody off the hook. You've still got to sing. You've still got to sing. I, 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 don't, I don't see a way around that. Uh, you look, read, the, read the book of Psalms and tell me if you get the out for not singing, you know? Uh, and, and then we can talk. Uh, We will increasingly include multiple elements of media to draw people into worship, such as congregational readings, prayers, worship clips, drama, artistic presentations, testimonies, etc. We want to mix it up a little bit. That's our goal. Okay? Um, And so we're doing that. We, We had a song we played today where you could just reflect, pray a little bit, consider your relationship with God. That's it. You know, it's a little bit different. We also want to be, number two, intergenerational. We want to engage all the generations together because that's what the gospel does. We want gospel-centered worship. We want to actively resist the tendency to favor one particular style or segregate ourselves by style preference. In heaven, we're all going to worship together. There, There are positive aspects to almost all musical traditions and worship styles, and we want to help everyone expand their worship horizons and therefore grow. Worship's not about me. It's about God. People can use their preferred style during the week, but on Sunday we worship as one as we will in heaven. On some days there will be more of your style. On others there will be more of others' style. We will therefore strive for a mix of contemporary and traditional, experiential and positional. Experiential songs focus on experiencing God. The me focus. Positional songs focus on our position in Christ. Grace, humility, God's sovereignty. We believe the balance here. We believe that balance here is not only healthy; it's critical for maturing us as believers. Which is going to lead to number five. I'll just give you number five since we're talking about it right there. We believe by challenging young folks to sing hymns, we're challenging them to grow. You got hymns challenge you to think a lot while you're singing, young people. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Okay, so we're challenging growth here. Um, Number three. Oh, I'd say say the same to the older folks. I would say to you, we're going to sing younger songs. It's going to focus a lot on heart stuff. Because worship is also an emotional experience. I mean, it is. It doesn't mean you have to have emotions. We're not ruled by emotions. Faith is how we worship. We worship in faith. You know, we believe God is true and he's real. But let me say this to the older folks. Just a little pastoral thing. Um, I think older folks need to obsess about how to win the next generation for Christ. Someone ought to amend me for that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) we We need to obsess on how to win the next generation for Christ. And if using some of their preferred style helps do that, that's good. That is so good. If that draws people in, That is so good. Okay. Um, Number three is upbeat and fresh. Tends toward a modern uh, feel to appeal to young families and new folks while preserving the best of traditional elements. We want it to be upbeat and fresh. Number four, participatory. We want to discourage the spectator mentality. So we want to increase the use, again, of congregational prayers, poems, and readings. If you have a writing gift, I don't know if you saw our ministry interest survey But if you have a writing gift or a speaking gift, the worship teams would love you to join them. Write a poem and we'll read it in church that glorifies God. Speak. Read some scripture. If you have a knack for being able to say things in a very expressive way that draws people in, we'd love you to be on the stage reading scriptures and other readings for the whole church. Worship's not just for the musicians. And encourage involvement in sermon discussions after the service. Again, another chance is to meet over here after church, talk about what we've been talking about, pray with us. Um, let's do this together. Okay? So that is our guiding principles for worship at this church. That is why if someone walks into these doors and says, why is it I never know what Sunday I'm getting? Hymns or modern stuff? Uh, you can say, that's intentional because the gospel's for the old and for the young. I don't know which category you feel like you're in, but you're going to get a Sunday where it's more about you. And you're going to get a Sunday where you can sacrifice and have it be more about the other person. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Worship team, would you come up and lead us in one last song? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that as a church we get better and better and better at making every aspect of our life about you. I pray for our senior saints, some of them I've talked to just recently, that that are looking at the real possibility of their death. And they say things like, I can't wait to see Jesus. And I can't tell you, Lord, how good it is for me as a younger guy to hear that to value you, Jesus, so much that death is not scary, that death is gain. Lord, I pray that our our older folks can instill that, that, that depth of faith and conviction in our younger folks here. And I pray for our younger folks with all of their, their passions for serving and their, and their passion for more modern expressions of worship, that, Lord, we would be full of people in this, in this church that just want to love you with everything we've got, leaving nothing behind, just giving it all to you. May our hearts pursue your heart. And may we make our worship styles ultimately about Jesus Christ. Help us, God. May we never succumb to the worship wars that some churches do. May unity rule. May the peace that comes from Jesus and his death on the cross rule in this church. In your name I pray. Amen.